All right, so we've been in a discipleship series. Uh, we've been going over different disciples, looking at the different letters in discipleship. Um, and we're going to go ahead and uh, follow, continue that series. Uh, we've been looking at different apostles that Jesus Christ has, uh, chose to start his movement. Uh, today we're going to be looking into Simon, uh, looking at what he brought to the table and what Jesus saw in him and how that, bring, how, how that relates to us in our daily walk with Christ. Um, before I get into the message and before I talk about that, I wanted to essentially go over a few questions that I had for you. The way I've structured this sermon is to, talk, uh, is to ask questions and I'll pose a certain few answers here for you. Uh, the first question that I, that I had for you is, how long have we been saved? Anyone been saved for more than a day here? Any, <laughs> praise God, amen. Anyone been saved for longer than a month here? A week, longer than a week, month, great. Longer than a year, okay. Longer than 10 years? 10, 10, okay, great, we got a little bit. How about 20 years? Um, Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in any case, what I wanted to talk about in this case, um, I wanted to bring, is sometimes when we're saved for so long, especially when we start getting into these years, we start to see where, we start to see that the stories of the Bible become comfortable to us, and they don't stir us like they used to. I remember when I was first saved, I remember how much that affected me, the stories that I read in here, and I would say, I can't believe this has happened. I can't believe this has really happened in the Bible. There's two stories that jump out to me that I wanted to uh, talk about, and I, I kind of call them a VeggieTales aspect. I'm sure all of us have seen VeggieTales, the, the stories, they bring those good Christian uh, stories, and those are great, but I think that they're, sometimes they miss the mark because they're trying to bring it down to a kid's level. Uh, first, of course, Jonah. You know, we, we all know Jonah the whale, Jonah and being swallowed by the whale, and something, a story out of that Bible actually has nothing to do with the whale, and it has to do with the greatest ministry that is one of the greatest ministries that's been recorded, that is, uh, when Jonah went to Nineveh and preached the word, he only spoke a few words, and yet he brought an entire nation to its knees, literally repenting, a full 180 turn, a full transition back to God. How crazy is that? How, how awe-inspiring is that? And sometimes we read that, and we just read right over it. It's a very small part. It's not sp spoke about often, but that is, a, that is a crazy story that happened in the Bible. Another story would be Acts chapter 2. Um, this is right after Jesus had been saved, or Jesus had obviously saved us. And this is the beginning of the Christ movement. And in this case, this is, uh, at this point, there was about 3,000 to the followers of Jesus Christ. And the Lord was adding to the number daily. Uh, if you want to reference it, it's Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It's a very small section. But in, what I wanted to point out of this is they actually reference specifically how God had their mind all of one mind. It talks about how they were all of the same mind and how this would, how it was, if one need was needed in one of the followers, the other would automatically know that and would fulfill that need. There was a koinonia, which is an ancient Greek term for fellowship, but more than just spending time with each other, it was a sharing of, of resources, sharing of time, sharing of knowledge. It was just, we're in a divided country and a divided nation we live in right now in a society. You don't see that sort of union, that sort of commitment to each other. And that is such an awe-inspiring story that I read that and I have to take a moment and stop and think. All of the followers of Christ at one point were together and they were in union with each other and they understood where each other were at. I think this, this is important for us to realize and important for us to see and to stop whenever we read the Bible and just ask God to challenge us to see his word 
and to allow it to affect us, allow it to stir within, our, within ourselves what the Spirit is moving within us. I know the first day that I was saved that I, when I was smiling like a fool whenever I got saved, um, I got baptized. And whenever I was, when I was young, uh, I was in, I don't know, I was in probably middle school or high school or something, and I was biking pretty far, probably about 12 miles to this church, Cornerstone Church. It's a church that we're affiliated, not affiliated with, but we know them, and Pastor Todd used to go there. He used to be a pastor, a youth pastor there. I got saved, I got saved and I got baptized there, actually. And interestingly, I would, bike my, I would ride my bike back home on Wednesday nights. It's not the best of town. I would ride back to 67th and Glendale. I don't know if anyone knows that. It's not exactly the best area of town, but that's all right. I, praise God, I was saved. And I remember the night that I got uh, baptized, uh, the bike that I was riding, the inner tube came out and got tangled up in the, in the spokes. And then like it started raining and here I am dragging my bike and I'm smiling like a fool because I just got baptized. That feeling, you guys remember that feeling? How awesome was that feeling? And we, that, was in, that was in us and oh, I just pray that we get that feeling every single day. That is, that's such an awesome, I'll, I'll stop geeking out about that. But <laughs> uh, we're going to read uh, just a short section here. Revelation chapter 3 uh, verses 15 through 16. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit um, about how this applies and how Simon, Simon, um, he was labeled the zealot in the greater community. He's actually, it's, it's not exactly, what, all the evidence isn't there, but he's widely accepted to be essentially a radical of the time. He would have been what you would have called an extremist nowadays. He would have been a part of the fringe group. He, would, he by no means was he a moderate, <laughs> is what, the, what some of us would like to call ourselves nowadays. Uh, Simon was a very dedicated focus-driven individual. So let's go ahead and just read this real quick here. Uh, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you were lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to read your word. Thank you so much to be able to hear the words that you've spoken and to study them and to allow them to affect us. I pray that the words that are brought today, the words in the Bible that we read, and any opportunity we open up this Bible, I pray that you just, you speak to us and you allow us to be moved by them and allow our spirits to be stirred by them. I pray these things in your precious name. Amen. So like I said, I wanted to talk a little bit about Simon and I wanted, I wanted to pose questions to you. Um, essentially for people who are taking notes, the, I'll, I'll pose a question and then I'm going to give you a couple answers to that question and that'll be kind of my points today. Uh, first question I wanted to uh, talk to you about was what contributes to a low spirituality or a lukewarmness in the church and more importantly in our discipleship? So what is causing us to have a low spirituality in our discipleship? I'm going to give you two answers. I think you can, get a, you can fill a lot of answers into this question, but I'm going to give you just two that I think God has spoken to me about. The first one is unintelligent evangelicism or unintelligent faith, not having an understanding of our faith. This is important to me because we, this faith that we have, God's called us for us to want to know him. Of course, we know, he knows us better than we know ourselves, but he wants us to have a better understanding of, of him and to chase after him. We, we live in this generation, everyone knows the millennial generation, and everyone has, of course, their own personal reservations of the millennial generation. My, the greatest revelation that my generation has given to society is that you are your own God, that you get to decide what is right and what is wrong, what is, what is okay and what isn't okay. And this is what my generation has given you. And 
Of course, this doesn't align with the Bible. God is God, not us. We're his creation. And so this generation, of course, has given this, but now we're even past my generation. Now there's a whole new generation in middle school and high school right now who are being attacked by the enemy. And in order to give them what they want, we have to be understanding of the faith because they want what's real. The enemy's attacking them. They want to have an understanding of what's real and truth. And if we can't give them that, if we can't give them an understanding of the Bible, then they're going to find it in elsewhere that's going to bring them death. And what I mean by death is a death to the spirit. They're going to find places that aren't going to give them, that aren't going to give them everlasting life that Jesus can. And we have to have this understanding, but I, I, there's a word of caution here that I want to bring because when we have this word, when we, whenever we start to learn about the Bible, whenever we start to learn about different facets in Christianity, sometimes there, there's division in that. And I think the, that brings nothing but disservice to the message because the first and foremost issue is Jesus is king. He's Lord of lords, king of kings. He, he came to this earth. He died. He rose again. He died for you and me. He died for our sins. If that's number, not number one issue, if that's not the number one topic in mind, then we're doing a disservice. There's these things called secondhand issues that I think we still need to learn about, though. And I'm not going to name any of them, but we need to have an understanding of what these are. We need to have a better understanding of where we fit with them. And if someone else doesn't, doesn't agree with me, whenever it comes to this uh, topic, whenever it comes to this, um, me- or whenever it comes to that specific facet of Christianity, that's okay as long as we can come back to Jesus. If you walk away from an argument where, if you walk away from a debate with somebody where you're more upset than you when you entered it, then that's where you find out you've done a disservice to yourself and to the person you're talking to. We need to have this, this understanding of where people are, where we're at, and then be okay with people having differences in that. I, all I know is that Jesus is king, he's Lord of lords, and I love him, and I know he loves me. I know he loves you guys. So like I said, this generation, they want what's real. They want what's open and honest and true. And if we start to understand why, why the Bible says what it says, we can actually give this to the, this next generation, and they can start understanding what, that, what the Bible has to say. If it's more than just, well, that's what the Bible says, get over it. No, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to have an intelligent faith. And let's see here. I know it's all mixed up here. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. This reads, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for connection, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped uh, may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture is breathed out of, by the breath of God. It's for training. It's for reproof. It's for connection. Here at Christ Church, we believe, uh, we believe in equipped, connect, and serving. I know that by heart. I promise. Uh, <laughs> we believe in equipping our individuals, equipping the congregation of this church to have a knowledge of, of the word, of having an understanding, and to connecting them within this next generation, within the millennial generation, within an, every generation that is brought here. And we believe in serving the people around our community and bringing this, bringing this to them. In uh, Psalms 119, 105 through 106, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an, an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rule. Uh, Matthew 4, 4 reads, let's see here, and this is where Jesus was responding to the enemy whenever he was fasting for 40 days in the desert, in the wilderness. And Jesus said, and it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
And so this, this means that this book brings life to us. This book is what, where we come from and where we have to have an understanding. The Bible tells us, of course, I'm using the Bible as an authority for the Bible, but the fact is, is that this is Holy Ghost inspired. And so I just, I, am, I encourage you guys to spend time and to see what is important to you. We can find what a man's important, man and woman's importance are in their life by where they spend their time. If they agree to allow God to be what's important to them, they'll start to begin to open up the Bible. And I know I'm, I know I'm just as guilty of this. I know sometimes it's, it's difficult for me to read these, these and thous. And I'm being honest with you. I'm being truthful here in this regard. But whenever I actually take the time and allow God to move within me, I'm a better person for it. In addition to this, so not only is unintelligent evangelicism a problem that brings low spirituality to our, to our own discipleship and, and to the greater C church, the big C church, but also watered down gospel. So now we have an understanding of the Bible. Now we understand what's going on there. What, what next? What do we do with that? Well, we can't apologize for the Bible. We can't cut down its power. If we, if we start trying to make excuses for the Bible, then we start cutting its power that it can have on an individual. I'm not saying go out there and be rude to people and be horrible to people. We gotta love, we gotta love the, our brothers and sisters who are in this world and have nothing but compassion for them. And so wh- where I come from is that now we, we don't water down and not apologize for the scriptures, but whenever someone comes to us and asks, asks us about a specific scripture or asks us, well, why did the Bible say that? Or why does it say this? Just be willing to have that conversation be willing and engaging in that person's life because they're a creation of God. That's where the compassion, this has to be a real affecting of ourselves. If we just want to punch a Sunday ticket and not be okay with, and are not, not be okay with bringing our Bible in on Monday, then I don't know where, I don't know what else we can do. There's nothing else we can do. We start to live in a society where we decide to, to try to ostracize ourselves from society, but we're called to serve society. And see, we got to love our brothers and sisters. we got to love them, whomever it is, whatever choices they've made. we got to openly, unapologetically, don't lie, don't change it, but just serve from what bi- the Bible says and love them as Jesus loved them, whoever it is. Point number two, or question number two I wanted to pose here today is, why, why is the status quo mentality so deadly to the church? So why is the de- uh, status quo mentality so deadly to the church? Or in other words, why is what society tells us is okay, what is right and wrong, why is that deadly to the church, and more importantly, to yourself as an individual, as a discipleship of, a disciple of God? Well, the world progresses. The world's going to tell you what's right and wrong. You know, they'll tell you, they'll tell you what's right today. 50 years ago, that was horrible. Or 50 years ago, that was, that was the right thing to do. It changes, of course, from, from generation to generation, from year to year, from day to day. One day something is all right, the next day it's not. The Bible hasn't changed, though. I argue that it hasn't changed. It's been, the, it's been the same from the beginning. God gave us his word from the beginning. It was good, it was true, it was life. And still today it is good, it is true, it is life. All the way through from the beginning to the end. The world's, uh, the world's consistently telling us, like I said, my generation's told you that you are your own God and you get to decide what is right and wrong. But the Bible obviously rejects that holistically and says that's not true, that is not right, that is wrong. So if we choose to accept this status quo mentality, if we choose to accept what the world tells us what is right, then that's, I think that's where you start to see denominations die. I think that's where you see churches die. I can't give you statistics. I can't give you uh, any of that. But I think if you start to look at the history of churches and if they start to accept what this world is telling them is true, I think you can, that's where you can actually begin to start to see the decay in that church. 
Choosing to accept the status quo, th this encourages us to be lukewarm. Of course, it's popular today to be a moderate. Isn't it, isn't it popular to be in, uh, not someone who's in, extremely enthusiastic about something? It's cooler. The cool kids like that, right? <laughs> God hates lukewarmness because such a state keeps the multitudes from seeing truth. This is a quote from Whitney Patney. This is kind of the inspiration for this whole uh, discipleship series we've been doing. Uh, Youth of Flame 2.0, highly recommend it. It's a great book. Uh, it's really long. It's really in-depth, and it's not, it's not a, a, just a, a regular drink-your-tea read type thing. You're going to spend some time understanding it if you read it. But like I said, and the thing about status quo change is status quo it only affects the outward appearance because the status quo says you can't kill this person, right? The world tells us we can't kill that person because that t t killing that person is wrong. That's horrible. And I agree with that. Don't kill people, please. Uh, <laughs> but God came for much more than that. He came for something so much more than that. He came for the heart. If I, if I hate Brother Trent in here, I've killed him in my heart. The thing is, I, I love you, by the way. You're an awesome individual. <laughs> uh, but if I hate him, if I hate someone... I've killed him in my heart. I don't care about him, but God doesn't want that. He wants us to have that love. The Sermon on the Mount is what I'm referencing here. Is The thing is, is Jesus, he came not only to fulfill the scripture, but to further understanding of it. He's, he says, even if you've lusted after a woman, you've committed adultery. The thing is, is he doesn't care so much as uh, only your reaction to society, but he cares about what's in your heart because he knows if you hate someone and if you have, if you have lustful thoughts after them, you start to decay your own soul you start to decay your own purpose because now it's, it's a selfward, inward pride that comes here. I, I get up here, I get so nervous when I talk up here, by the way, guys. So scared, so nervous, and it's so silly because it's pride. What I see by that is it's pride in me. I'm afraid of looking silly in front of you guys, but I need to not care what you guys think about me, only what Jesus thinks about me. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. If he says I'm okay, then by golly, I'm okay. Amen. Amen. Um, like I said, but God wanted to come here to affect the inward change. If we serve out of status quo and out of the faithfulness and serving out of hope and fear, we're serving because we're hoping that we're doing enough, fearing because we know it's not. But if we choose to allow God to have an inward change in ourselves, a true inward change in what is true about us, we're serving out of love and obedience then. We love because we love from the obedience God's given us, but we obey because of the love God's given us. It's it's the same, or it's two sides of the same coin, is what I'm getting at. Um, I wanted to go in a little bit of Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Uh, this is, I've been reading the book of Daniel, I was talking about it this morning, but I've been reading the book of Daniel a lot lately. And the thing about uh, the book of Daniel is, I, at first I thought I had it all figured out. And of course, that's whenever you know you don't have it all figured out. But so I, ha I thought I had it figured out. I thought, it, you know, it talks about the end times great. But then I started reading it, and I started getting new eyes of it, and I started realizing a lot better. The book of Daniel actually talks about how, how a Christian is supposed to interact and engage in a Babylonian society. I got news for you guys. You've heard Todd say this, Pastor Todd say this. We live in a Babylonian society today. Today, we live in Babylonian, a world, a society that chooses to reject God, that chooses to not allow God to be their creator, and to chooses to live separate, apart from God. The same thing happened in uh, Daniel. This isn't anything new. This happened way back in biblical times. So how, as a, as a Christian, how should we engage in a society that does that? One, one camp is let's just go ahead and fully integrate into it and let's just adopt their practices, adopt their, the, 
atheism and then just be okay with what they say is okay. The other school of thought is that we decide we need to go ahead and ostracize ourselves from uh, society and we need to not be a part of it and just, you know, that's your problem, dude. Get over it. We're, we got our Bible here. We're good. The problem with both of these schools of thought is the Bible. The Bible is the problem here because the Bible wants us to be a part of that society, wants us to be engaged in the society, wants us to have an understanding of it and understanding of the society so that way we can be a beacon of hope to that society. So Jan Daniel chapter 3, uh, this is, um, in this chapter, Daniel's not much referenced, but his spirit is, his personality is referenced a lot in the spirit, or in this chapter. In this case, uh, these three individuals, given their uh, Babylonian names, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, just a little bit of backstory before I read it. Nebuchadnezzar had, um, he'd made a golden image of himself, and he made a commandment, a decree, that you were to worship that golden image, and you were to worship that uh, his gods and bow down to that for a full month or however it's so and so these three of course being serving of God they wouldn't do that and so they're now they're being charged with this and he said well bow down to my gods and I won't throw you into this burning fiery furnace and so this is the response to it and take a take a note to the tone in this because you would expect there'd be a lot of smiting in this but take a note to how they respond <clears throat> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if it be known, or but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You would expect them to be smiting this person and cursing this person and telling them, how dare you expect us to do that? But no, their tone is, let me give you the respect. Oh, king, let me give you the respect that you have. God has put you as king of the society, obviously. Let me give that respect to you, but I'm not going to serve you. So how does this apply to us daily? Oh, court of the public opinion, you may think that you have control over what I do, what I say. You may think that I should fear what you can do, you have no control. You don't get to decide what my God can do or what my God can't do. My God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't deliver me today and I'm slayed down because of this, the words I speak today, I will not serve you. I'll serve the God, the one true king, Jesus Christ. That is, that is how we interact with the society. We live in it and we be a beacon to it, but we're not afraid of it. If we get in trouble, at least we got in trouble for Jesus' name. I would so much rather get in trouble for Jesus' name than my own. See, loving God means that we, we, serve, at, we serve, and we, we have a, another term that I want to bring to you, is Shema. We, Shema is an ancient Hebrew term, and it's, it means listen, and it's actually used in a different, uh, different array too, listen and obey. And so, because the Hebrews didn't have a word for obey, they, use, they would use Shema, or if they really wanted someone to listen and, and heed their words, it was Shema, Shema. Um, so when we, when we listen to God's word, and to bring this into today's word, say Pastor Todd doesn't like the font on that, right? He says, I don't like that font. Uh, go ahead and change that. I'm listening, physically listening to his words, but now I'm obeying him by changing it. So this same thing practice, uh, uh, translates over to God whenever we listen to the words he says and to the words he tells us, but we obey it and we follow through with what he tells us. To go tells us. So landing the plane here, talking about what I wanted to bring to you, Simon, he was, he was a zealot 
from, from everything, all accounts we have aware of, Simon was a zealot. He was an extremist. He was someone who was a firecracker. He, he went for it, right? That's who, that's who Simon was. And Jesus chose this person to be the starter, a very crucial point in his movement. Why would Jesus choose someone like that? Why would Jesus choose such, such a person that, you know, you don't know what you're going to get with him. He, he's going to go one way or the other, extremely one way or the other, not just, to, not just kind of. He was, a part, he was a part of the radical movement back then. That he was, the things that he did, obviously, he did in the flesh, weren't of, they weren't of God and they were, they were bad. But then when he chose to serve God, he was a major instrument for the kingdom of Christ. He brought that word. So Jesus chose him as one of his apostles, the beginning people, the infancy stage of, his, of the Christian movement. And that's such an important role to take. You don't get that unless you have an understanding of the faith. You don't get that unless you're not afraid to talk about your faith and you're not, unless you're not afraid to be unapologetic for your faith and bring that word to Christ, bring that word to the people. Simon was labeled this zealot. Jesus believed in Simon that he knew that, Jesus knew in Simon that he was going to be part of the movement bringing further and bringing the excitement into this and being okay unapologetically. In closing, I just want to bring these three last points to you. Know your word. Know the word that we've been given. Know what Jesus wants us to know out of this Bible. Don't be afraid to spread it either. Don't be afraid to be a part of this. But then live in society. Bring this, bring this to society. And be okay with what the society tells, tells you. If you get in trouble, at least you got in trouble for Jesus' name, right? Amen. Last question I wanted to pose to you, and it's not... I don't want an answer from you, but I, I pray that this gets stuck in your mind, and I pray that you think about this for the rest of this week. If Jesus asked for Simon to be a part of his ministry, if Jesus called Simon to be an apostle, what does he expect out of you?